1: Suddenly, is the time that we
0: jump into the rotation. Oh, do I do it? Do it again? No, no, no. We don't. <laughs> okay. I got so many like buttons up here. I don't know what to wow. press. Let's
1: introduce ourselves and get and get right into the meat of the matter. My name is Gary Stein. I'm the master of public health here, <laughs> as well as the, uh, <laughs> the political director of Suncoast Normal, the most active normal chapter in the state of Florida. Woo. And I remember 9/11 when it was just it was yesterday. Now, to my right, your left, unless you have a mirror thing which flips everything over there, is Carlos Armida, who refuses to to celebrate 9/11 unless he's certain it's not a religious holiday.
0: Uh, I do not practice religion.
1: <laughs> well, you practice if you you, you kind of gave up on that. We're not going to get into that yet.
0: I'm very uncomfortable right now.
1: And <laughs> <laughs> and the two and, and in the, in the upper right hand corner coming from above the beltway where he hits them directly below the beltway and not too far from when the rockets hit the Pentagon, I'm sorry, the planes hit the Pentagon. We have our executive director, Chris Kano.
2: Gary, we will have no conspiracy theories on today's episode. (laughs) All right, look.
1: I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I just know what they're doing.
2: Well, before we do bring our our special guest on today, I do want to take a moment and uh, just, you know, solemnly recognize the lives that were lost on 9-11. Um, we, you know, had several thousand Americans who lost their lives in terrorist attacks on our country in that day. And regardless of how you feel about the causes or what happened after the war, um, you, you know, in the preceding wars that happened, I will say this much. As a country, we did come together uh, for the first time in, in, in my life, uh, uh, greater than ever, more united than ever. And I would say that, you know, we should always remember the lives that were lost and continue um to have them in our thoughts, in our minds, in our hearts. Uh, as we make these foreign policy decisions uh, that have ramifications uh, decades out that we you know, may not realize that many of the things that led up to the 9-11 attacks were foreign policy decisions that were made in the 70s and 80s and even 90s uh, that eventually led to those. And so uh, when we look at electing the right leaders to make the right decisions, we need people uh, in office that have the foresight to realize how their decisions can have ramifications and, and how the butterfly effect uh, can take off uh, years later. And so that's why I think I think it's important that we have a younger perspective uh, stepping up into the halls of government and be able to speak up uh, for those generations. And we actually have on our show today, the first uh, candidate uh, from Generation Z, as they like to call it, uh, that has the possibility of making it into Congress. And that's Maxwell Frost. Welcome, Max. Oh,
3: thanks for having me, all It's great to be here this morning.
1: You know, the last time that we had a candidate this young for Congress was Adam Putnam. <laughs> and, and he he's, he's he's kind of like the, the the dark darkness that kind of like hangs over our program for a number of reasons but we'll we'll, we'll get into, into that later but the fact is you actually you knocked out some heavy hitters to get to the point where you are right now i mean you actually uh knocked out uh alan grayson the the congressman with guts and you uh, knocked out uh, randolph bracy who was head of the minority in the Senate here in the state of Florida, as well as a a champion of a lot of cannabis bills that had gone through, although they never got past committee. But he did did write quite a few of them. And now here you are. uh, First off, I'm impressed the fact that you've been active uh, politically and everything else since, since you were a little kid, which just goes to show you that sometimes ADHD can be used for good. I mean, you, you have been all over the place. You, you've been working for ACLU, so you're a union guy like a lot of us are. Chris works for uh, SEIU, I'm AFsme, and uh, Carlos, well, he, he looks for the union label at least but uh we're all very much into the idea that you have to be socialist as well as populist in a matter of manner of speaking and we'd like to know just basically where are you coming from and why you decided to after all these years of activism decide to take up a notch and then go to the halls of of the uh, the beltway
3: yeah i mean i got involved in this work like when i was 15 years old because of the sandy hook shooting uh i went to like the arts high school and middle school um it's kind of like high school musical not exactly just a little bit but i played jazz drums there uh and so like before every jazz band concert my best friends and i would like walk across the street to i think it was a friday's or a macaroni grill and we would uh just load up on a ton of junk food and i just remember us sitting there we looked up at the television screens the whole restaurant went silent there was people crying i mean it was very intense and everyone was looking at the television screens and saw somebody walked into that elementary school in newtown connecticut And murdered 20 children and six teachers and i kept like at the concert i kept thinking about it while i was playing so i actually went to dc for the memorial and it was there that i met a guy named matthew soto his sister vicky was a teacher at sandy hook and when she heard the gunshots she actually hid her class in like the closet in the cabinets to save their lives and just seeing a 16 year old with the demeanor of a 60 year old crying over his sister who was murdered for just going to school that morning it changed my life and like i you know i ran to my hotel room and i said i want to fight for a world where no one has to feel the way i saw my friend matthew feel tonight and uh the thing that really got me is that it was preventable and like fast forward 10 years and what happened in uvalde mirrors exactly to the gun to the kid to the problems to everything right Um, what happened 10 years ago in Sandy Hook, and just shows that nothing has been done. So I decided to run because I was asked by some organizers here locally to run for office. Um, some folks that I had also been arrested with during the black lives matter uprising and, um, and, and now we're here. So we're, we're pushing for the general election.
1: And you also helped organize March for our lives, which with, um, with with some of the other members of uh, the group over in Parkland, yeah, that I, I had a chance to meet a lot of you guys. Actually, at the same on February the fourteenth, two thousand eighteen, uh, we were actually having a, a lobby day in uh, at, in Tallahassee at the time, and I was in Carlos Guillermo Smith's office when we heard tell of what was going on over in in Parkland, and oh, wow. I think like that everything just kind of like froze there, and I stayed an extra day till you guys came up to Tallahassee to go ahead and. and uh, <clears throat> And, and, and you go with that big uh, rally that uh, really just struck the hearts and minds and saying things have got to change. We, we say that every time something like this happens, but it doesn't happen until somebody actually puts their foot on the ground and everybody else puts their foot on the ground next to it and those boots start moving forward. And exactly. we're glad that you, you took the reins on that uh, and, uh, and it got, it moved together as a group and how the, your movement is continuing to grow.
3: Do, do no, you see 100%. that as
1: one of the reasons you, you were able to get to the primaries and uh, because of the fact that you are representing this this movement?
3: A hundred percent. You know, and I actually, I, I don't consider myself a founder of March for Our Lives, but I was there since the, I always say I was there since day two, because the, the second day after I went to, to Parkland at like 1 a.m., 2 a.m., uh, just drove in the middle of the night to go meet with the students and figure out like how I could help and what was next. I literally hit up one of the people on Twitter, on DM. I was like, hey, I'm an organizer. I also produce shows. Like, let me know how I can help. And they were like, okay, if you want to come now we're we'll having a meeting. And then I looked at the clock and it was like 10 p.m. So I just hopped in my car and drove to Parkland, It was like three hours, and uh, walked into this house. And on the living room, here are all the you know kids from Parkland and uh, had been involved for uh, like a year and a half. Uh, I went on the tour with them. Uh, I was in Tallahassee. Um, But I got hired full-time as, like, my job uh, in 2019 or 2020, uh, 2019 to be the National Organizing Director, uh, which means that, like, I was just ensuring that we were um, resourcing and training our chapters across the country, which we have over 200 of just students who have said, you know, kind of what MOX said, like, we call BS, right, on all of this stuff, Mm -hmm. on the fact that we've been born into a world where the leading cause of death for children is guns in this world right now. We've been born into a world where we don't have health care as a human right. We've been born into a world where the climate crisis is not just coming, it's here, right? We see what's happening in Pakistan, a third of the countries underwater. And a lot of times people get a little confused when I talk about these other issues. But the fact of the matter is that the re- one of the reasons why we're in this problem uh, and greed and a lot of other stuff has to do with the fact that we see these issues in silos and not connected every single one of these issues work with one another when people have healthcare, a dignified wage the ability to just live their lives without you know the fear of what's coming next they're less likely to use a gun to solve their problem so how do we end gun violence yes the regulation of guns is important but i would even argue another thing that's as if it even even more important is raising the quality of life for everybody so no one feels the need to use a weapon to cause harm in the first place. Most crimes are crimes of condition. People have been pushed to the edge and want to use you know, the crime or the gun or something to, to kind of get ahead and ensure that they're okay. And A lot of times the people who commit gun violence are victims of other crimes, um, uh, more systemic crimes. So either way, that's usually not the case with a lot of these mass shooters, but mass shootings are only 1% of gun violence. This is a huge issue. So. Either way, that was a lot. But uh, yes, uh, the movement really prepared me to, to run for office. And I'm going to always be with the movement. You know, I, was, I met with a group of organizers here about three days ago. We were talking about this thing about uh, what it means to co-govern. What is co-governance with the movement? Uh, and we're figuring that out. Right. But, you know, I intend on still being close with the movement um, as I'm a member of Congress if I win this uh, uh, this general November.
1: Uh, you, you've been an organizer. You, like I said, you work with, with ACLU and the other ones. And Chris specifically knows, knows the importance of being a community organizer in order to make things done. You have to have a group. We can't just be one person unless that one person you know is in tune with, in sync with everybody else going on behind us. Now, we've just got out of an era where the greatest generation was in charge. And they were at a time where a lot of people felt that the government was always going to take care of them. And then we get we, we came into the 60s where everybody started to distrust the government. Where does Gen Z lie in, in between that in that spectrum?
3: You know, I think there I think it's a mix, just like every other generation. I think there's people who are really skeptical of government. I'm, a, I'm also skeptical of government, right? Um, I haven't, you know, I have to reconcile the fact that I'm going into an institution that has caused a lot of harm to people, um, right? Uh, and I'm going to be a part of that. Um, but at the same time, I also believe government is, can be such a force for good. Um, and we've seen that throughout history. And so, you know, it's not the end all be all. And I'm very clear about this too, right? I'm not a singer. Um, we, voting isn't the only thing we should do. We should do it, right? We should get good people in office. But what I always said as an organizer is voting gives us the opportunity to choose our terrain as organizers, to choose what the battlefield looks like when we're fighting for things like ensuring that we decriminalize and legalize cannabis and that we expunge records and that we ensure that the benefits of that are put in the communities uh, that were most affected by the war on drugs we're fighting to expand Medicare, uh, Medicare to you know include everyone. So everyone has healthcare and it's a human right. So um, these are battles that are gonna take years to get to uh, or, or to, to, to win and have been going on for a lot of them generations and voting lets us pick who we're talking with and who's making the decisions. I think that's a very important strategic leg up when we talk about the organizing sphere. So I, you know, something that I think really puts our generation in a a really interesting spot is that we see the value of everything. You know, a lot of times you'll speak with someone who's like, I hate voting, I only protest and you speak with people who are like more on the electoral side and they'll be like, protest is a waste of time, go vote. And then you'll speak with people who do mutual aid work and they're feeding their community and they're like, all that shit sucks, right? Like this is just about, uh, you know, feeding our community but we can to see the value in all of it and how it all works together. Um, and we have to use every tool that we have to get to where we need to go. And we need to have a mutual respect for people who do other things, um, and might not see, you know, eye to eye on the way to get to where we need to go. So, you
1: know, my grandfather, when he got out of purple gang, he got heavily involved in the unions in Detroit. He used to always say that voting will get, uh, will get you one vote, but organizing will get you mil- will get you thousands.
3: Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I mean, to give up on government on a path towards where we want to be is to give up on one of our greatest solutions, our our greatest solution, right, is through the government <laughs> that exists to you know, govern our country and make these huge decisions. And when we want big impact, we're gonna have to have, you know, it's gonna have to be big work. So it's it's everything all the time, right? It's like that movie everything all at once or whatever. That's literally what we have to do to get to where we want to be.
0: Now, good movie. It's a good movie. Everything, yeah, yeah, else. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> One thing that never conflated so greatly with me is the fact that uh, here we have cannabis, which essentially is a nonviolent crime. And yet they've been constantly concentrating on on, on getting people arrested for, for drug use, for, for small drug possession, or for people who are just trying to medicate themselves to feel better, especially veterans. And yet with guns, so oftentimes it's the opposite. That You see the very little government action to go ahead and prosecute those people who have actually killed people. I'm still I'm still wrapping my head around Rittenhouse. I still haven't quite figured that out yet. But we're always saying, well, it's not guns that kill people. It's people that kill people. I think you got it right when you say it's the causes that make people want to use the guns that is the issue.
3: Exactly. I mean, and when people say that guns don't kill people, people kill people, I'm always like, yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I agree, <laughs> right? I mean, uh, you know, uh, it's just sometimes these these little quips are like used to like silence people. But a lot of times I'm like, yeah, you're right. It's the same thing with, and I don't know where you all stand on the canceling student debt. But when I'm talking to people about canceling student debt who say it's not fair, I go, you're right. It's not fair. It's hel- It's not fair at all that people have had to put themselves in debt to seek higher education for generations. And we're just getting to the solution. That's not fair for anyone before us. I agree. doesn't mean we don't do anything about it now. Maxwell,
2: uh, I got I got 300k in debt for two bachelors and a master's from USF. So cancel all of it, all of yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> let it go. Okay. Uh, get, get, I, I got a question here for Maxwell. I just wanted, to, you know, you talked about uh, other factors that affect uh, people uh, when it comes to gun violence. You know, one of the things you said is about improving the quality of life, and and the I would say the biggest. Uh, battle right now in the American, you know, psyche isn't that, you know, cannabis is bad. You know, we've had 38 states that have uh, created some type of medical system and such, you know, we got some holdouts still, but the next uh, frontier is really around people being able to keep their jobs and utilize cannabis. So, you know, employment protections uh, for medical patients, even for in adult use states, you know, off duty use of cannabis uh, should not be something that disqualifies you uh, from your job or from a position. I mean, I understand when the Biden administration came out, if you have a top secret clearance, maybe you shouldn't be going to talk to a drug dealer, but you know, that's why we have dispensaries and legal places you should be able to go. And so I just wanted to get your thoughts on, do you support employment protections for cannabis
3: users? I do i do i mean i remember <clears throat> i've held a lot of jobs when i was in high school like i worked at Seaworld and starbucks and like i just did a lot of little jobs and i remember having a drug test for all of these which look being in high like i'm not saying high schoolers should be doing drugs but i'm just stating that like it's it's interesting that for a lot of a, a lot of these jobs where we to the same respect where we don't expect someone to come to work drunk um you know people aren't gonna come into work high and you don't need to drug test people uh, to do that. So yeah, I'm for employment protections. And I think it's that's one in multiple steps in normalizing what cannabis is and the fact that I mean, it, it just should be legal, right. And, you know, we're we're getting I think we're we're getting to a good place, as far as state laws are concerned. And here, it's hard to kind of see forecast things. Um, it'll depend on like future elections. Um, but I'm hopeful at the national level that hopefully something can happen um, over the next decade.
0: You know, you know, Max, you remind me of a story uh, of a buddy of mine um, in college when, uh, you know, friend of mine, we smoked a lot of pot together. That's, you know, the most we need to know about this guy, except for he got arrested. He got arrested for, I think, I don't know, doing something stupid. Right. (laughs) Uh, Part of the part of the issue with him being arrested was that he was subject to drug tests. So what ended up happening Uh, was he quit smoking pot and he ended up becoming an addict with other drugs because these other drugs get out of your system much faster than cannabis does. So it's almost like the systems, like, I I mean, in this particular anecdotal case, I'll give you that. But I mean, in this, in this case, the system's pushing my buddy to, to do harder drugs, that drugs that get out of the system two, three days instead of a month like cannabis. Um. I yeah, like I I I hear you talking about this like holistic like you know all these issues kind of run in together and like I just feel that like we legalize cannabis we'll have a better quality of life you know um you know we won't have so much that we have to like you know count on the healthcare system for so much and whatnot um yeah can you talk about how cannabis can affect all these issues that that you're kind of going on. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think there's just so many unintended consequences in American government, right, that uh, things are passed that just can completely destroy people's lives. Um, And I think, you know, the legalization of cannabis is a it's the right thing to do, because from like a civil liberties perspective, right, it's also the right thing to do from a racial justice perspective. It's also the right thing to do. Yeah, from an economic justice perspective. Um, And so. And, it, and it's also the right thing to do. I mean, if you're someone who, you know, the, the right has like a monopoly and they're all about supporting law enforcement, yet they're for like this permitless carry bill that lets anyone carry a gun anywhere. And then they are also for things like having our police departments continuously enforce cannabis laws, which are essentially victimless crimes. Um, Which take their efforts away from other things. So it's, you know, I think it's just all in all good policy. I think it's good politics too, right? Because we got to talk about everything because some people don't care if it's the right thing to do. They just care if it's the right thing to get reelected. And um, so if you're trying to get reelected, I think it's good politics too. We see the pollings moving in the right direction. So if you're holding up on it being the right thing to do maybe uh just be for it because it'll help you get elected again right um and yeah so it's good politics it's good policy and it's just the right thing to do and i think a, a big thing too is we got to make sure that in the effort of equity that we do everything we can to ensure the gains are really felt by those communities um that have really uh bared the blunt on the war on drugs and it is black communities, but it's also Latino communities, and it's also just like generally poor and working class communities as well, um, of all races, of you know all types of people. Um, and so, there's a lot of work that needs to be done on that, but that shouldn't be seen as a roadblock. It should be seen as a just one of the many reasons why we do need to, you know, decriminalize and also legalize cannabis.
1: Well, hopefully, one of these days, the intent of politics will actually be in sync with the implementation of politics. Right now, I see we're we're dealing too much of a culture war, and we're not actually fighting the right wars.
3: Exactly, exactly.
1: Now, we we know you've got to get going, but uh, we want to make certain you 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 get in your pitches to how people can get a hold of you, how people yeah. can support you, and uh, what they can do to be in sync with you, even if they aren't in Sen- in congressional district ten, which which yeah. represents what areas, by the way
3: so we are pretty much orlando right so we're the central part of orlando so we go from an area called pine hills and we go all the way past downtown we have downtown orlando we have east orlando we have ucf then we go to an area called Biflow, which is all the way east and then we have maitland and winter park and south of downtown so it's very small on a map if you look at the congressional districts on a map i think mine is the smallest as far as like geography but it has the same, Obviously, all the districts have roughly the same amount of people. So it's a lot of people packed into a small area. So it's it's really it's 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 a great district, um, and people can support me by going to frostforcongress.com. It's down below, oh, down below, and uh, you know, uh, you know, folks can chip in, uh, you know, twenty seven bucks or twenty seven hundred bucks um, to help us out. That's great. Um, and if you you know if you're not a donor and you don't you know can't donate, you can sign up to volunteer. People can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at friend Facebook at uh, Maxwell Frost F.L. And I uh, really appreciate y'all having me on.
1: I know John Morgan's in your district. So, John, hit him up, please. <laughs>
2: Best wishes, Max. Go kick some butt in this general election, man.
3: Thanks, y'all. Appreciate it. Have a good day.
2: We're behind For you. Sure. If you need any extra info, we're here. Man that's awesome. I'm glad to okay. see a young motivated, you know, uh, organizer like Maxwell stepping up and actually being successful. I mean like you said Gary knocking off Veteran politicians in a primary uh, because he stands on his convictions and he, he has a movement of people uh, willing to support him. And I think that's uh, really what you know, we in the cannabis sector have to continue to model and do is that we have to stand strong in our convictions and we have to coalesce as a as a community uh, behind them in order to, to make sure that we see victory uh, at the finish line. And it's not about um, who gets to plant the flag. It's about the people. Who need to be uplifted by changing these laws, and I think too often we've seen that in the cannabis sector, in in the activism sectors, that people want to be uh, Neil Armstrong, and it's like no, you know, like that's not what it's about, and, and because for Neil to put that flag on the moon, it took a lot of guys in Mission Control to make that happen, and it, you know, so so that's that's really where we need to be as a community.
1: I mean, normal as as Keith Stroop would have mentioned last week, is very focused in particular on the normalization and the legalization of cannabis. And yet it's not the only topic out there for politicians to deal with. And someone said, well, why do you have Max Frost on? He's basically all about just guns. I said, he's not all about just guns because ha- there has to be so much more than that. You can't be that myopic to think it's just about guns, just like normal doesn't always think it's just about cannabis. We have a lot of people who are who are not single issue voters. And yet those, those single issues do add up to where you should be going. And vote for the candidate, don't vote for the party, don't vote for a single issue. I think it's it's one of your best policies because things are connected.
2: You're right, Gary. And and we actually have our candidate questionnaires that are going to go out this week uh, to the various uh, federal and state and local candidates. And, you know, some of the key questions that we're asking in that questionnaire are very direct and very upfront. And we want folks to answer honestly and, and give their perspective. But, you know, do as a candidate, do someone support ending criminal penalties for cannabis possession? You know do they support the legalization of cannabis for responsible adults 21 and up do they support employment protections you know these are the same questions we're asking folks when they come on the show do they support the right to grow your own cannabis at home you know uh, one of the key things that i think is so vitally important is do they believe medical marijuana patients should be allowed to have organ transplants you know people should not be getting a kicked off transplant list for using a medicine that makes them healthier and and you know um, in, in all of it, there's also the you know, social justice aspect. Do they believe that historically and deport, disproportionately targeted uh, uh, groups by cannabis prohibition should have the opportunity to get licenses in the industry? Um, and then lastly, do people believe the currently vertically integrated uh, medical marijuana system in Florida creates unnecessary barriers to entry? I think, you know, as a a questionnaire, I think it's solid, but I think that all in all, if someone can answer yes to all those questions, then in the grand scheme of things, they're the right candidate that we want to see in office. And those are the key issues that we're facing right now in this industry, people losing their jobs, people uh, uh, losing whatever, um, you know, medical care that they're getting, Uh, people even losing their kids because their cannabis use is being utilized against them in court. And I just want to say real quick, a, a, a shout out to, um, you know, Governor Gavin Newsom in California uh, for as all as controversial as California's rollout legalization has been uh, in the past couple of weeks. There have been some really great bills that he signed, in particular, an anti-discrimination bill uh, that prevents uh, physicians and surgeons from automatically denying treatment or medications solely because a patient utilizes medical cannabis or test positive for THC. And then in New York, uh, they're also passed a bill where, you know, uh, cannabis use has to be considered no different than tobacco or alcohol use uh, when considering the welfare of a child. Because, you know, there is actually a handful of women I was reading yesterday in jail right now in Alabama because they're pregnant and they tested positive for cannabis. And they're going to be sitting in that jail possibly for up to the next 30 years of their life. And so that's just ludicrous to me that we have this this you know this uh, dichotomy in, in, in the United States where in one we in a couple states they're starting like hey this is something that's normal it's it's something that parents do and then other states they're like oh my God right. you're you're destroying the welfare of this child you 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 need to be in jail for the rest of your life. And so we, we have to continue to, to change these laws and, and continue to work to, to make it better. Um, you know, the unscientific drug testing of, of workers, as we touched on, is another thing. You know, a lot of states are struggling uh, to, to deal with the fact that people utilize cannabis and and its discriminatory practices in the 21st century to deny people or fire them from jobs. I mean, only seven states have uh, worker protections. and then uh, and then actually Nevada just recently ruled uh their Supreme Court against workers. So yeah,
1: that's- know, that makes no sense to me because they need workers in Nevada right now, especially around the casinos and things of that sort. They need qualified workers that they can trust and they're they're just dropping them off because of a you've, I think a ridiculous uh, rule
2: yeah yep yep I mean it, it, and that is just is it, ludicrous to me. But, you know, the, the, the Supreme Court ruled that employers can fire uh, workers for off-duty cannabis consumption, despite the fact Nevada has an employee protection law. But the employee protection law is only for medical patients, um, and, and so that doesn't, doesn't necessarily, you know, Nevada also has adult use, so it doesn't apply to adult use. So that, that just shows, you know you really we really have a lot of work to do uh, at normal and we have a lot of work to do in the florida legislature as well as congress uh, to continue to change these laws and that's why we need you um to become a member you know It you know and, and my production engineers got his head down but now would be a great time to flash that link for suncoast normal and and let folks know that they can get involved uh become be a member yeah it, you know join the cannabis <laughs> movement become a member uh, you know, you get uh, a membership pin, you get a membership card. Uh, of course, you get a discount at Chillum, and you get invited to the, the great events that we have uh, for our members. If you haven't uh, come to one of our Suncoast Normal events, whether it's been a membership shesh, or whether it's been a talent show, uh, whether it's been you know our, our cannabis uh, uh, business expos, uh, we continue to do you know a lot of work to provide a lot of value for our members and making sure that they have fun and that we have uh, informative and educated uh, uh, events for folks. So,
0: what's surprising? So, so like the the live feed on Facebook cut out at six minutes. Like they cut us out at six minutes. We're still going on YouTube and we're we still got a lot of viewers for YouTube, man. So. Yeah, we can keep it going. But well, Facebook well, cut us off. Facebook cut us off. I think I shared it too much, and they're like, "There's something wrong with this." And
2: uh, yeah, you did. I did Zuckerberg. see. you. Know, like- <laughs> <Zuckerberg>. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Zuckerberg.
0: But I think it, it, it's t- it, it's important that we we shout out to YouTube. YouTube. Is apparently keeping us alive. This is why we should switch to Pornhub. <laughs> I'm just saying. You know, fuck you. Maybe we should. <laughs> Maybe we should.
1: They don't, they, they don't <laughs> cut out for anything. Not you know.
2: Oh man. Well, you know, uh, when it comes to the news, we, we talked a little bit about what's what's going on, but also, uh, you know, the the interesting things that are coming out. In the journal Plus One, it said that cannabis legalization uh, negatively impacts stock market returns for pharmaceutical companies. Shocker. So, you know. California Polytechnic State University was actually looking at whether or not statewide legalization laws influence pharmaceutical firm stock market returns. The fact is that uh, returns decrease in response to both medical and recreational legalization for both generic and brand drug makers. Uh, Investors anticipate a single legalization event to reduce drug maker annual sales by three billion dollars on average. What am I doing? Am I missing something? Was that? A- I, I need to see a study eventually
1: that, that talks about <laughs> how, how much Excedrin migraine works for migraines as opposed to uh, cannabis nasal sprays work for, my, work for migraines. I bet you, you will see a major situation there where you can tell that the over-the-counter product does not do the job compared to nature's own that was originally there to keep our brains straight.
2: Well, also, uh, a recent Gallup poll that just came out uh, last week showed that marijuana use has outpaced cigarette use for the first time in America, uh, with 11 percent of respondents saying they smoke cigarettes and 16 percent saying they smoke marijuana, uh, you know, in, in versus, you know, uh, in 1969 polls would show only four percent of Americans had even tried marijuana, uh, where, you know, this year's 2022 poll said 48 percent have tried marijuana. So
1: nine out of 10 doctors prefer Chesterfield because it's toasted.
2: (laughs) Well, also, you know, uh, new studies have also come out. There's no association, uh, between being a teen and adult smoker and being less likely to be motivated in life. You know, um, we see it just, just there. Look, Carlos is an amazing business owner. Uh, I've never seen anybody who's, you know, Carlos, you've expanded Chillum. You've made an amazing brand. You've been voted best dispensary and to pay multiple times. Uh, you've also created a space you do, to do this podcast uh, to help us do events. So if it came to being a stoner and not being motivated, I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Carlos is one of the most motivated businessmen that I know out there. And it's like, I, I- <laughs> So like right now my
0: license is suspended and it's like just because I'm dumb and forgot to pay my insurance and like people are like oh you're you're a fucking pothead I'm like I I'm technically responsible for the the well being of two companies <laughs> like like some shit's gonna fall through the cracks so my license is gonna get suspended a few times and and now Carlos is
1: not the kind of person that's gonna make kids use cannabis face it is that the is that the face of Joe Camel
2: I swear I, to God I, I think it's I don't think so. Weed. <laughs> well, you know, uh, uh, some of the interesting things when it comes to kids utilizing cannabis, right. With their brains. Well, yeah. you, know, you know, there's always been a, and that and there's always the issue of brain development, right? We're like the human brain doesn't develop till it's 24 years old. So we should, you know, they're always like you shouldn't put anything in your body until you're old enough responsible. I mean, that's why they've raised the tobacco age in multiple states to 21. But you can still go to war at 18 and get shot. That's why in some states they have a military exception, you know, uh, for, you know, if you show your military ID, you can get your pack of cigarettes at 18 or 19, um, you know, all in all. What we're seeing is that, you know, uh, recent studies show CBD oil helps autism patients. So, you know, why aren't kids being allowed to use cannabis more? And then we're showing that cannabis vaporization actually shows efficacy uh, for Tourette's syndrome. So, you know, in thinking about what is it that, that, that we're, outcomes that we're looking for, do we want healthy kids able to lead baseline, you know, normal lives, if you will, or are we going to continue to, to create a society in which there are sick people who don't have access to a medicine that can let them lead productive lives? Now,
1: and can I just mention the fact that Kennedy and Obama smoked can- cannabis? Kennedy because of his Crohn's disease and a number of other things he was dealing with. And, and Obama because it was his recreational thing for when he was growing up in college. Compare that to George W. Bush who did cocaine. And, and, and take a look at the le- legislative results alone. And that, that I think that should be a tribute right there to as far as brain development is concerned. Well,
2: Gary, as a social scientist, I gotta say that's a spurious connection. Cause I'm pretty sure GW smoked some pot this day. Was not solely just a kid And same with Clinton. Um, you know, and, and that just goes to show you you can be president of the United States and smoke weed. I mean, Kennedy did it regularly. I don't know if Obama did it regularly while I was in office, but you know, the, the fact is is that uh you know you can be a productive member of society you can utilize cannabis you can go to work right and, and have smoked a joint the night before to relax and it's not going to affect your performance the next day uh, i think that we you know one big portion of our society that if they had access to cannabis things would change dramatically and that's in the the police in, interactions i mean if you had cops You know, who at the end of the day knew they could go home and relax and spire up a blunt without consequence, not lose their jobs. I'm pretty sure they wouldn't be the same guys that that you see beating people's ass randomly on on, on YouTube and Instagram every freaking day.
1: And don't forget also, I think think fake news has a lot to do with a lot of the way things have happened in regards to cannabis and not just the stuff that, that led up to the 1937 law, but back in the Middle East where they were the people were conflating the word hashish with assassin because they had heard <laughs> that cannabis actually makes you violent and so it was a belief that there was a group of people who were basically getting uh, uh, training Sounds assassins by to. by putting hashish in them constantly to make them more violent and less empathetic assassins and <laughs> that was just not the case but no. that, exactly
2: it would be the opposite. It's like you want them to get high so they would move slowly and more paranoid so they, they can creep a on theory. their mark.
0: <laughs> Here's the thing about your theory, Keno, is that there were a lot of cops that have confiscated my weed so that they can go smoke it at home. Yeah. So and they were kind of nice. Like they didn't arrest me or nothing. They didn't beat me up. So I think <laughs> if, if they're right? a little bit yeah. <laughs> I think if they're they're like, hey man, you want to smoke a joint instead of doing this? Stop. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, there's a lot of
1: chain of custody issues in regards to uh, raids by California cops. For some odd reason, a lot of stuff doesn't quite make it to uh, to the to the basement to get put away as evidence
2: I oh no we've seen it in multiple dispensaries that have been raided in california you see the 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 oh. the uh, internal security videos and you see the cops like stuffing edibles in their jackets and yeah. their pockets i swear to you i remember on, all those sitting on a
0: corner in miami like like scared that i'm about to be arrested and the cop like pulls out marijuana from my fucking glove box shows it to his friend and says oh shit this is really good stuff and his friend's like you know what you want to just take it and let him go and he's like yeah let's fucking take it and smoke it later I swear to you this is obviously before police camera. this is
1: why you should never have-
0: <laughs> Hilarious.
1: you should never have true leave in your car you'll get arrested every time <laughs>
2: Ah, oh, that's funny, Gary. Now, that, that joke definitely hit the bar. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, Carlos, it's funny you say that. I saw an Instagram video. Some dude got pulled over in Cali. Uh, the cop was like, just show me what you got. We make sure it's not obscene about it. We do things differently here. And the cop looks at it. He says, here's what I'm going to do for you today. I'm going to throw this out, and I'm not going to write you a ticket, you know, because you need better shit. <laughs> Go to oh, the Walmart. this message. What are you doing driving through our state with this bullshit? <laughs> So, so, you know, all in all, yeah, I think cannabis use, um, the more widespread and more accepted it becomes, um, and you know, as a protected, uh, medicine is the most important thing. Like it is a state sanctioned medicine. Why are not people protected for using it? No one else gets fired from their job for using Vicodin. No one else gets fired from their job for using oxy. No one gets fired from their job for using Xanax, you know, unless you pop an oxy and a Xanax and a Viking in, and then you decide to go operate a crane and you fuck around and and, and break something. Right. Like that's that. And and even still, you should not operate heavy machinery and utilize cannabis. Like that's the disclaimer we have to say, but the truth is a lot of people drive better high, you know, I mean, you know, you, you you don't have the, the, all the distractions you're focused on the road, right? You know, Tommy Chong says, you know, you're waiting for the stop sign to turn green sometimes.
0: Here here at Chillum, I think it's actually very important that some of my employees work better high.
2: So what I do is I pay for their medical marijuana card. Wow, you are yeah. one hell of an employer. Not just paying for insurance like some employers, but actually helping people uh, get we their, their medical card. <laughs> well, yeah. hey, hey, at least you're offsetting the cost, right? So. You don't pay for co hours either. <laughs> <laughs>
1: not, that, not that we couldn't. You know, we do have what is called a, Pat- a Patreon account. I think we should make make a point because we're saying that we're we, we got a new board here that has uh, sound effects and things of that sort, and that came out. Of-
0: and that- <laughs> what the f- are you talking about, Gary? <laughs> <laughs> you
1: know what you call a, a voo-voo-za-za Whatever. It is, they, 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 they- <sighs> Unfortunately, this is his day job. But uh, we, we, we're constantly trying to increase the production values of this show and increase the kind of guests we have on the show, although we've done some pretty damn good work so far. But Patreon will help us improve our, re- our reach because we have so much to say and so many issues to solve. And if you, if you can help by being a, a Patreon, by going on to Coast Normals Patreon account, go ahead and donate. <laughs> Never use my chainsaw. Well, hi. Uh, did, have you done that? I was just wondering. I hope, hopefully, you didn't, didn't have to learn the hard yeah, way. This
0: guy was a little butthurt until I started. Okay, no, no I, it, I think, uh, it's never asked Maxwell about the
2: smart guns, that's why. Oh, uh, interesting enough. Okay, so, you, you know, when you say he don't use the chainsaw former. high, uh, um, don't chop firewood high either. I, I remember I got my finger chopped off because I was holding a piece of wood while my buddy swung an axe at it, and that was a bad idea. So. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Don't do open-heart surgery on your higher either.
2: Uh, I mean, unless you got shaky hands, then, you know.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: that is that is true. It does get, get the shakes out there. You know, yeah. It lets you do tedious uh, tasks a lot easier.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> Excuse you me, know, I want some coffee. While Carlos is having fun uh, operating the sound effects on the board as such, I do want to take a moment. Uh, you know, today is, is 9-11, but also this week, uh, Normal lost a former board member uh, in uh, Barbara Ehrenrich, who at 81 years old lived a, a full life. But um, she was someone who, you know, through her political activism, uh, you know, fought hard uh, to help. Pursue the American Dream uh, for working-class folks, and served on Normal's board of directors in the mid-90s uh, before transitioning to the advisory board. And she remained a, a, a card-carrying member of Normal until her death last week. And uh, you know, as a cultural influencer, uh, you know, she was willing to speak out publicly about the injustice of cannabis prohibition. Uh, you know, and, and you know, during her time, um, you know, she saw that uh, working-class people are the ones who are hit hardest by prohibition and, and the enforcement of prohibition. And she was eloquent and authentic in her battle for civil justice in America. And so all of us at normal will deeply uh, miss uh, her voice and her fight. And I think it's important that um, you know we continue to realize that uh, this chapter and, and, and all the other chapters that we have are really building on a legacy that People for decades. We had Keith on, you know, earlier in the week, uh, who built this organization, you know, with its roots going all the way back to the late 60s, early 70s. And that there are people who have been in this fight longer than me and Carlos have been alive, you know. And so I just want to take a moment to respect uh, the sacrifices that folks have made. Yeah, okay. and that, Isn't that old. You yeah, know, the old you know, yeah. Gary's the OG. Gary's been around. Gary, Gary was uh, been around long enough to smoke the, the weed that the government sprayed pesticides on, which is why that's right. when people and make I mean, fun of Gary waddling, I'm like, hold on, man. You don't know what type of weed that guy had to smoke in the 70s. Shame God. on y'all.
0: Gary right. was like hanging out in his living room. He's like, guys, hear about this thing called normal, man? Just start it <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You guys want to smoke a joint and talk about normal?
2: <laughs>
1: well, I, I do want to mention, though. however, uh, it's just, again, because it is, it is 9-11, uh, I remember where, exactly where I was. I was out there. I was giving a low-risk HIV testing to married couples, which didn't make any sense to me. But I do it what the government tells you when you're working for the government because they were about as low-risk as you could possibly be. But all of a sudden, I heard a, a, a plane crashed into the, uh, the World Trade Towers, and they was riveted to the television set for the rest of the day while we were still trying to get work done. And we had no idea what was going on. We had no idea that this was a tragedy that our own government with the Patriot Act and things of that sort, we're going to, go in, were going to make worse. Even though we did get together for that, that, that period of time. And we got a lot of world-class uh, <clears throat> kumbaya moments throughout throughout the world but yet, because we didn't solve the initial problem that started it. And we also had a similar problem in this country that we were ignoring as well. so. Our paranoia was had taken over, and we still have to uh, take off our shoes, no matter how bad the, it, it stinks at the uh, at, at the airport in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah,
2: oh, oh, I mean Gary, I, here I'll give you an example of uh, you know you said we don't solve the problems. I remember one time uh, going through the airport, and uh, I, I don't know if I had some edibles or some flour on me, and I was yeah I, I had just flown back from I think it was Cali. And I was like, I had to bring some of this good Cali stuff back with me. And I'm sweating bullets, you know, to go through the security check. And and the lady in front of me had on a hijab. And I was like, oh, they're going to mess with her. And they're going to let me through. And that's exactly what happened. So, you know, uh, when you think about it in the grand scheme of things, um, you know, the profiling, that, that Muslim Americans uh, continue to face in the wake of 9-11 um, is not right. You know, if 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 we're always striving for freedom, people shouldn't have to also give up their freedom in the name of security. And, uh, I, you know, I have a friend who's a civil rights mm-hmm. attorney, and one of the things he posted the other day was uh, people are being asked when they come back uh, from overseas if they're Muslim American uh, what their Facebook and Twitter account handles are. And it's like, wow, the government really wants to track, you know, your social media accounts and shit. And, like, you know, if you're just going to visit family uh, overseas, that you shouldn't be having to tell the government what your damn Twitter account is, you know. And if they really want to know what you're tweeting, they already know it, right? Like, why are we making these extra hurdles uh, and make it difficult for Americans? Uh, you know, all in all, I, I don't recall any of those guys at the hijackers on 9-11 being Americans. They're actually Saudis. Yeah. Um, and, and yet, for some reason, we invaded Afghanistan and not Saudi Arabia. So let's 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 just look at that for a minute. I was shocked, I, right? I, I can tell you that growing up in the '60s, everybody was the
1: biggest concern they had when they got into an airplane was the fact that uh, these Cubans were going to get on board and they were going to hijack you and take you to Havana. Like, that was a, a place to go to when everybody else was trying to leave. Very, very it, 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 it never made it. any sense to me. Why would they hijack take it to Cuba? <laughs> would they be picking up some folks and bringing them
0: back? I should, prob- I should probably, like, change my Twitter handle from Die American Scum. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, Carlos. Get out of here. I mean, right now, man, it is. You, you, you're, a, you're a capitalist through and through In the
0: 60s, Cubans wanted to go to Cuba, huh?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, they, all, right. they all this is what's wrong with Miami's And they heard me. <laughs> and now now they are in Miami. Has a, a Havana, a little Havana is basically Miami now or Little Miami is basically Havana, one of the two. Sure. And,
2: you know, and you know, and here we are, you know, 20 years uh later and, and now Asian Americans are, are being demonized and assaulted over uh the outbreak of COVID. You know, uh, there's a there's a Pacific uh demographic in this country that wants to call it, you know, the the China flu. You know, we've seen former President Donald Trump try to characterize it as that, and and blame blame COVID on a you know on a on a, a, a biological weapons lab in Wuhan, China. You know whether or not it came like that why would we as a country and as a culture want to assault our fellow asian americans over it like clearly that's something to do with governments uh between the you know people's republic of china's government the u.s government and and the fact that us the russians and the chinese consistently uh as governments violate treaties whether it's space-based weapons or biological research or just you know being dicks in general uh to each other and i mean are we ever going to get to have a kumbaya moment where the Russians, Chinese and Americans get their shit together and, and come together uh as human beings? And you know, Ronald Reagan said it, well until the aliens come and invade, probably not going to have that. You know, we're still going to continue to to bicker over petty shit like, you know, dollar exchange rates and 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 trading partners with Taiwan and such. Did
1: they not see where uh uh I the, the, the day the world stood still, the
0: the aliens Earth stood came still. In that was a uh, right? Like the CIA said the aliens were here in
2: 2020. Well, I yeah, well, have, I yeah. mean, you know, Obama even came on, was on James Corbin and was like, Yeah, we have no idea what those things are in the sky, you know. So, if the former president, and Bill Clinton said it on Jimmy Kimmel, if the two former presidents are able to say, Yeah, uh, we know the are UFOs, we have no idea what they are, you know,
1: like, what the well, one thing is, is that for certain, they know better enough to land over here. They're sort of like looking down and saying, Oh, no. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> It's bad neighborhood. I mean, like, let's go someplace else for dinner.
0: Yeah, like we can't <laughs> land in the middle of a pandemic.
2: <laughs> oh God! Well, you it. know, it I mean, I, hey, if they land that uh, they land that spaceship a little bit too far down Seventh Avenue, yeah, it might wind up on blocks <laughs> when they come back. So. But but the issue I wanted to bring up was the fact that
1: too often we're we're so caught up in attack at hominem and attack at objectum, which means we're, we're trying to point a finger oh. at somebody or something, when it's never that simple it's never that easy you have to actually the, uh, attack the cause of an issue to actually uh, uh depreciate the effect of an issue and that well, Garrett, is what pointed out
2: you right. hit that on the head too like that is what cannabis prohibition has always been about and so I, I actually have a video uh, of me at the new leaders council convention discussing that actual thing uh, and talking about how cannabis prohibition was you know rooted in both uh creating uh a, a a non-competitive capitalist market for synthetic oils versus organic hemp oils and uh to be utilized as a racist criminal justice policy And so we're just gonna uh take a look at that excerpt now and carlos got it on the screen the war on drugs. Well, we'll be talking
4: about it today and to speak is of course none other than chris
0: Know, who is an incredible speaker? Um, got your he name wrong. Leading the charge. You not call him a Republican. He's going to be having
4: a we can talk
0: over it, by the way. About the important aspects of <laughs>
4: cannabis, not just the social parts, but the criminal justice angle, too, because that's why we're here at NLC. Not
0: just to frolic in your high. That's not what we're doing here. We're going <laughs> to talk about the issues to
4: raise the bar and to keep us high on progress. So without further
0: ado, Chris, welcome to the stage. Yeah, Chris. Woo. Chris, no. Chris
4: Cano. <sighs> Winning the war on drugs. What does victory look like in America's long running war? The first thing is that we have to accept the fact and reverse a bad policy which the U.S. government has carried out for over 80 years prohibition of cannabis. Now in this talk, you're going to hear you say words like marijuana, cannabis, and can interchangeably understand they're all the same plan. And for you to really understand the stakeholders behind this bad policy, before we jump into them I want you to comprehend the common uses of cannabis throughout human history. Whether it's been in ancient China, India, Africa, Middle East and Europe cannabis has been used for medicine it's been used for war, clothing, religious ceremony. And so, if you look at how cannabis came introduced in the areas, it was through colonialism. The colonial powers had settlers actually be required to grow it for the crown in order to produce the enterprise necessary for the colonial needs. And so, at one point in one part of this country, you actually find it's not going to be shot. You know, cannabis is so ingrained in American history that, in fact, Thomas Jefferson in 1781 had to sell 2,000 pounds of wheat just to acquire the rifles necessary for American independence. We even commemorated on the back of our money. There's a hemp farm there. The 1914 ten-dollar bill. So, what changed this policy in America? What changed our cannabis policy? Surprise! Racism. And, Con- and other financial elites in the early 1900s, looking to produce synthetic plastics and paint, which were, uh, were threatened by or organic hemp oils, pushed it through Congress through the Marijuana Tax Act, and they raised a public relations war on minorities, which the Mission Administration doubled down on when the Marijuana Tax Act was getting unconstitutional in the summer of 69. So, today, both political parties are utilized by these powers that be. And the primary denial of civil rights and dehumanization of people in America has been through the drugs and mostly through the probation camps. And if you look at the skyrocketing numbers, the land of the free and the home of the brain has more prisoners than China, Iran, Russia, North Korea. What's worse, people are profiting all of this. There are billions being made in the prison industrial complex, and they create these uh, narratives to be tough on the crime, to pass harsh laws. And all the while the taxpayers are putting the bill to a prison industrial complex, which is making money off of modern-day slavery. And many of your foreign and retirement plans are invested in this. The economics are clear though. We can save $8 billion in law enforcement costs if we were to legalize cannabis and regulate it like tobacco, alcohol, no and other substances in this country. Now it's not just the prison industrial complex flees Americans as of taxpayers; immigrants are now on this. There's a web of exploitation through the private prison industry and the immigration detention centers. Multiple companies are profiting off of it. And the sad part is, in all of this, despite legalization, Black folks, Hispanic folks are still treated in disparities and arrest, search rates. Things have got to change, people, and we need you in this audience to step up and make that change. So for me, why did I fight? My father was diagnosed with a terminal form of dementia. And when I learned that the US government had a patent to use cannabis to treat strokes and dementia, I was set on fire. Because I knew I could not and would not give up on my father. And what I didn't know was the tools that this system had to use against me. One night with this medicine going home, I was arrested, thrown in a drug rehab, forced to face serious person time, please for tens of thousands of dollars. This is how the new Jim Crow works. And I felt hopeless, but I seized my voice back and my power back by founding a normal chapter in Central Florida. And through community, I was able to step up and make it happen. And the American people, the numbers are clear, are with us. It's time for reform. And that's why educating people like yourself is so important to me. I host a weekly broadcast called The Rotation, where we have people come and share their stories of relief from medical marijuana and the value of industrial hemp and how we really save this country. With a solid public education campaign, look at the progress we've been able to make in this country? But this progress is not enough. The war is not over by a long shot. 22 veterans a day take their lives due to suicide. And it is spurred on by a prescription pill crisis, which used the VA as a guinea pig. And I've heard their stories of wanting relief. I've heard their stories of Canada helping them. Yet it remains a Schedule I drug. For the absurdity of that, understand that cocaine is a Schedule II drug and they deem it to have medicinal value. So I'm asking each and every one of you let's make this policy change. Let's put an end to this policy which is destroying the American family. Let's do it for our troops. Do it for our families. Do it for our God given and the illegal rights to freedom. Thank you. <laughs>
2: You like the applause went on yeah yeah appreciate that appreciate the encore awesome <laughs> applause. that was uh that was in july at the new leaders uh, uh convention uh, council convention uh, in philadelphia for those that know the new leaders council is a progressive uh, training workshop essentially uh to help you know the next generation prepare themselves politically um and it, you know the the, uh, the institute teaches you a lot of great skills whether it's um media relations uh public relations fundraising you know um uh, just in general uh how to prepare yourself uh to get into the political realm and i just thought that um uh, you know it was important for us uh, in a room full of these, you know, future uh, policymakers, some are actually elected officials that are part of NLC now. Um, to hear the importance of of ending prohibition and and why it's so important as a policy uh, that that they take it up, and and that's why you know I felt compelled uh, to give that speech. Well, I liked it. You're such I, a good I, very well well done. Well done. Yeah,
0: you know so much about the history of cannabis. <laughs> yeah
1: it's, 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 it's ingrained ingra- in our mind and isn't it great to live you know to work over here in Ybor City you know where are just only a couple blocks away from the L- Lakata home which which had such an impact as far as the fake news is concerned it's Ybor so City awesome. had a vital role <laughs> in making cannabis illegal and yet here in Chilum you're playing a vital role for it to move forward
0: as opposed to backwards how about that it's so cool I love Ybor City so much
2: yeah. I mean, we're, we're at ground zero, uh, like you say all the time, Gary, uh, when it comes to cannabis prohibition uh, there in Ybor City. And so, you know, if we're ever going to make the change, we need to we need to start uh, right there where it all started and, and all began. Uh, you know, Ann Slinger jumped on that Lakata case and uh, they helped produce their, their, you know, reefer madness propaganda coming out of that. I mean, you, for crying out loud, you got a, a schizophrenic, uh, you know, psycho off his meds, And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, you find a a nickel bag in his sock drawer and you're like, oh, this guy was smoking reefer and murdered his parents with an ax. And, you know, that's a long stretch. Yeah, but the the police
1: chief actually wrote in his report that he did not believe that cannabis had anything to do with the actual murder itself. And that file was stolen from the Ybor City Police uh, by Harry Enslinger's uh, Commission of Narcotics.
2: Well, you know, it's the same thing like uh, when, um, you know, uh, Governor Schaefer was empowered by Nixon uh, to, you know, have this commission uh, to find out all the bad things about cannabis. And the Schaefer Commission came back with the exact opposite. Like, hey, actually, if we legalize it, we'll have a lot of societal benefits. You know, most of the people utilizing it are, are people of color and working class people. Um, and I think, you know, that that also probably spurred down the double down on everything is that, uh, you know, Nixon read that and was like, OK, well, you know, these are the groups that we're going to target. In and, in you know, it, it's in the modern era. What does that mean? What well, means people get pulled over um, by the police just for being brown or black? Uh, you know, people get pulled over on their bicycles uh, because, you know, they're not wearing a helmet or or they don't have lights on the front and back in the city of Tampa. What does it mean? It means that a baby uh, caught a flashbang grenade to the face because the uh, Miami, uh, you know, PD raided the, the the wrong house next door. You know, these are the things that have the consequences. You know, Maxwell talked about it earlier in the episode, and and I called it the butterfly effect, and that's what it is. You have no idea of how these policies will create chaos down the line. And so it's so important to, to try and think it out and have that foresight um, when you're enacting public policy. And you know, there were those voices of dissent way back all the way going back to the 30s. You know, The American Pediatric Society and the American Medical Association were like, hey, no, this has been a part of the pharmacopoeia for so long, it's been a, a reliable treatment. I mean, for teething medicine, they used to have uh, cannabis and morphine it, it, you know, in, in a teacher bottle that they would give to babies, you know, back in, in prior to the to the uh, Tax Act of 37. Yeah,
1: so, they also use formaldehyde before surgery, too, but we wouldn't recommend that nowadays either.
2: <laughs> well, you know, the medical research is, is, is probably the key thing that's been holding up, um, you know, what's going on. And, you know, when it comes to cannabis and helping uh, strike down these barriers. And there is a new bill in Congress called the Dank Act. And so Carlos has got a link there he's going to put up on the screen. But actually, it's a bipartisan bill. Republicans and Democrats are supporting this. Ask your U.S. reps to support the DANK Act. Um, And this is all about making sure that we have uh, legitimate research uh, being done on cannabis and and understanding that cannabis has been shown to help with autism. It's been shown to help with Tourette syndrome. It's been shown to help with epilepsy. It's been shown to help alleviate symptoms of strokes and Parkinson's and even HIV. I mean this is a wonder plant that can do so many things for so many different people and you know as we said before we talked about on this episode uh it affects the bottom line of the pharmaceutical companies so when you see these big pharma companies and you know maybe here in the us it might not be as prevalent because they own both parties but in england shocker one of the top prohibitionists in in their parliament husband is is head of uh, gw pharmaceuticals uh, pilot program for utilizing cannabis so understanding that the pharmaceutical companies do understand the value of the plant they just want to be able to patent something in a pill that they can push out for hundreds of dollars rather than allowing people for a, a reliable and safe alternative to grow in their backyards and that's what we're facing now that's why we're going to see uh, when it comes to home growth, a lot of dollars thrown against it uh, from the establishment. You know, people do not want uh, that. When I say establishment, I mean established lobbyists, you know, Associated Industries of Florida, Florida Chamber of Commerce, these groups that have been around for hundreds of years that are meant to protect business interests. But they're really, they're just protecting the interests of their dues paid members that they have. They're not protecting business in general. Because and look they- at the politics of the situation right here, because I like everything that's in the Dank
1: Act. What I don't like is the name. And the name was there to market a, a divisive audience. The word dank does not bring people together. it It's one of those things where. Yeah. You know,
2: you said Governor DeSantis doesn't support uh, legalization because of those dank smells, right? What, what
1: did he say? It. So it's, a, it's a negative word to the prohibitionists. And it's a positive word to those who are not. And so, therefore, it does divide the audience into the haves and the have-nots, so to speak. And, therefore, I, I, that's why I say it's a Frank Lunds word as far as as, far as that's concerned. It's, it's made to, to twist the vote
2: well you know uh when we get these uh these senate bills that are passed or house bills and they they try to get house bill 420 or senate bill 420 you know they know what they're doing right reminds me of defund the police like people like
0: people get so wrapped up in that name when it's actually like they're kind of like supporting it in a way like they a lot of a lot of people that go against defund the police right uh, agree that cops should have less uh, responsibility in the, and and more pay. And yet they don't think that defund the police means that, but it actually does.
2: Like, yeah, in a lot of ways, it, oh, you're no. right, Carlos, defund the police has gotten a, a, you know, it's really in the modern era, whoever can jump on a soundbite first and whoever can twist yeah. it first wins. And that's the sad part because when people talk about defunding the police, what a lot of ways, what they what they want to say, at least the, the people are, are, are pro that movement is that you don't have to call the cops to every situation. You know, if there's someone in a mental health crisis, rather than calling three guys to the house and one of them pulls out a gun and blasts this person, you can send a social worker to the house to talk them down and make sure that they get, uh, their medicine filled and make sure that someone takes them to the pharmacy or to the doctor for a follow-up or take them into the ER for a Baker act police. And I saw it in my time working, you know, when I got out of the Air Force, my one of my first jobs was working at St. Joe's Hospital in a psych ward. And, and so I saw the police would bring people into the emergency room because they were not capable of dealing with mental health crisis. They would dump them on on us, sometimes violently, like some folks were having violent episodes from coming down from crystal meth. I mean one guy they brought in uh, they tasered him beat his ass this guy looked tore up from the floor up i mean literally had to pick him up off the floor and and, and put him on a stretcher and and just seeing that that experience and understanding um that so often people who take a you know six week course at a police academy at a community college uh are not prepared for every single human instance you know, uh, or for that matter, a becoming a teacher. I, I we, we have a
1: governor right now who's saying we need to have retired uh, military and retired uh, policemen, first responders, fill those teaching roles we have, currently have right now. And these people are not qualified to be teachers, as, as qualified as they are in their own jobs. They're not qualified to be teachers because it takes not only knowledge but a temperament on how to handle that kind of situation. Real
2: we'll sad, Gary. And even then, um, now the National Guard has had to be mo- mobilized to fill um, the slots in Florida prisons because we're short on prison guards. And I mean, that's a whole other thing. There is, you know, uh, if you're if you're someone who's been trained to kill anything that moves because it could be a threat, and you have rules of engagement you need to follow and such. Uh, that may not be the best condition for you to transition from that environment to teaching teenagers or to guarding dangerous prisoners. Those are not necessarily but our governor thinks that's okay and and uh, you know our governor, people have said it time and time again, uh, he reeks of, of fascist ideals of big government overreaching and, and being able to do what it wants because it has the power and that is not what american democracy is founded upon that's not uh pro-freedom principles but yet for some reason he can harp on the, uh, just a couple other things like say the word freedom wear an american flag wear a maga hat and for some reason people think that DeSantis is pro-freedom i would say that ron de administration himself have failed us for the past four years because we still don't have employment protections for medical marijuana patients. We don't have an end to medical discrimination. We don't have an end to discrimination in the child welfare system for cannabis users as parents. Ron DeSantis has, his administration has put out cats on the amount, allotted amount of medicine that sick cancer patients can get access to. far as I'm concerned, Ron DeSantis is a failure as a governor, and he's a piece of shit as a human being for not allowing sick people to get the life-saving medicine they need and the amounts they need. Now, we have been accused
1: by some of my favorite trolls who come on my, uh, my various uh, Facebook feeds of being partisan because of that we're constantly featuring Democratic candidates. Well, we do have a lot of Democratic candidates on. That does not mean that all of them have been Democrat. We've had a couple of Republicans on. The thing yeah. is, I do the booking, and I ask Republicans all the time to come on. They're scared. And they don't. I can guarantee you, if I put in a request to have Ron DeSantis come on, because we've had all the other gubernatorial candidates on, he will not come to uh, to Ebor either re- in realistically or virtually. He will not show up. We can't get Whoa. any of the Republicans to come on. The gentleman that uh, Max is running uh, against, uh, what is his name? Kelvin uh, Winbush, who, by the way, beat Peter Weed. So, sorry, Republicans. Weed did not win in the Republican Party. But He only got uh, 13%, and Kelvin Winbush
2: got about 45%. you are right, Gary. Weed is not winning in the Republican Party. and uh... <laughs> I
0: get it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> uh.
1: I had to throw that in there. But we will continue to try to get more Republicans on our show if they're willing to come on. I mean, we have no problem whatsoever having them coming on. If they don't come on, then we look partisan. You're making us look bad, guys. Wilton Simpson, the door is open, and we will not push you in if you get closer to the door. Well, we might. Uh, but- <laughs>
0: You know, like, we're we're sitting here trying to defend ourselves against these people, but, like, the truth is, it's like we just talked about it. Like, these are the people that won't, like, vote for something like the Dank Act because it's called the Dank Act, not what it's about, or they won't vote for something like defunding the police, even though they de- they, they really support something like that. But they just won't do it because they they because of the name. So like I mean, it's, it's it's at some point I think like you know like it's hard for an activist to say this, but like uh, arguing with ignorance is like administering medicine to the dead. You know what I mean? Like they they're just being ignorant. Like why why whatever? We'll have whoever
2: we want on our show. How's that? I I want you to put a soundbite of Michael Jackson saying, "No, that's ignorant," and you should. (laughs) We'll we'll cue that up in future future
0: episodes. It's like you know what? Cry about it. Cry about it. Have your own podcast and put whoever you want on the show. There you go. Kins will go on your show. Maybe that
2: will happen. I I doubt it, but it won't. you know, I, I've, I've watched the Joe Rogan experience for many years. You know, I've seen how he developed his podcast and the, the what it's become. And he, he invites a lot of right-wingers on the show. And, he, and, and they, they, they never want to smoke a blunt with him. You don't see Ben Shapiro taking a hit, you know? So what do you want from us? This is a this is a show. It's called The Rotation for crying Out Loud, you know? And, and, and if prohibitionists don't want to come on our show and defend their point of view, then why the hell should we have to come and defend our point of view on our very own show? right? And we are are going to have candidates from other
1: states on. I was trying to get a hold of Herschel Walker. From the point I understand, he feels that cannabis is is illegitimate. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Look... Herschel can kiss my ass. I met Herschel when I was a kid uh, at a Health South conference, um, and, and, I, and it was him, Lex Luther, and I, I forget as a football player, another football player too. But uh, you know, Herschel to sit up there, especially with all the traumatic brain damage he has, and, and did not support cannabis. I mean, shame I'm on sure you, Herschel.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of football players do support cannabis. I don't think Herschel Walker is going to be one of them. And I don't think the gentleman who's running against Max Frost is going to either. So that, that that's where we stand as far as that race is concerned, those two races are concerned. But we have so much more we have to get into, but we only have to give ourselves an hour a day. Otherwise, you people are going to start nodding off because you've already been baked for at least an hour now. Yeah, so uh, I, I think we need to go ahead and, and let the guys know how to get how to become a member of Suncoast Normal and what they get out of it. Go ahead and give it, the, give it a good commercial, Chris.
2: Well, you know, being a member of Suncoast Normal, you become part of the movement. Uh, none of the money that we collect for membership dues uh, goes to pay you know, anybody here in the chapter. I don't take a check. Carlos don't take a check. Gary does not take a check. As Carlos said, Gary is the best unpaid cannabis activist in the movement. But if you go to suncoastnormal.org slash membership, uh, you can become a member. You can go in there to chill them and pick up your membership packet. We have the membership cards and uh, your membership pin available for you. In addition, you get a 25% discount at one of the best cbd hemp dispensaries and glass galleries uh you know in the bay area so yeah. all in all great great value uh for our our members and carlos we appreciate you uh creating a home for suncoast normal there at Chili.
0: thank you thank you don't forget about the mushrooms we got mushrooms now
2: yes that's right you you got for for uh uh uh, uh my what was it my my how you say it <laughs> I, I don't know what's the word. What, what's My- the Mycology. Mycology. My- 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 that's the word.
1: M-Y-C-O-L-O-G-Y. Mycology.
0: We got mycology spores. We got grow kits. It's got, for those fungus among us. We, got, we do have uh, uh, magic mushrooms like amanitas. And nootropics like Lion's Mane. And-
1: not, but, but not, not Terence Kenzie Eye though. You don't have that one.
0: I don't. I don't know what that is. What's What's happening?
1: It's one of the species there, like Golden Teacher or like. Uh, well, you mean, Buchan- you mean Terrence Buchan- 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 McKenna? Buchan- Buchan- McKenna? Buchan- 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 <laughs> Buchan- yeah, no, no, no. McKenna Eye is the name of the mushroom. They named after him.
2: Oh, okay, 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 okay. Well, you know, I'll say this much. Um, you know, mushrooms are also a, a cutting edge. Um, a form of treatment that you're, they're using in certain states. Uh, we've seen certain states decriminalize it as such. And, and they've shown to have a lot of great effects, especially in, in treating our veterans uh, who have, you know, experience PTsd to have certain triggers that have gone through very traumatic experiences uh you know people who have you know not just vets but people who have been subject of assault and and and, and battery and, and other forms of uh of, of you know personal violations and and those are uh, events that oftentimes people will have serious psychological trauma and barriers around and they've shown in, in in you know some of these pilot programs and test studies that uh you know the mushrooms has helped them and, and help people deal with that and I think that that's uh, you know an important thing for people to get closer for people to uh, be able to uh, face their fears and face uh, their trauma and be able to move forward as productive people. And so you know granted it's not it's not uh, you know this for a hobby and purposes only. You know, it's not it's not for growing magic mushrooms and such. But I think, Carlos, you're doing a great thing by just creating that awareness that, hey, there's something else out there. And as the laws change, uh, you know, you'll be in the right position to uh, to help people get access to what they need. So kudos yeah, to I you. Mean, to
1: I mean, I, I grew my first mushrooms from a coupon from High Times Magazine. And uh, we I got everything we needed. I guess I had to put stuff in a jar. And trust me, growing this stuff is actually a hell of a easier than growing cannabis. And it's it really is. It, it's not brain surgery. But it has a same effect.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that Eventually. Note, bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Heart, this
1: has been The Rotation. And you have been a part of it. You can be a bigger part of it by joining Suncoast Normal. Suncoast Normal is an organization that can help you make the change that we all need. Go to the Suncoast Normal website and become a member because that is how
0: you become part of the change. You can find the Rotation Podcast on both SoundCloud and iTunes, but you can always join us in the rotation at suncoastnormal.org. At that very website, you can join the cannabis movement by becoming a member of Suncoast Normal, Gain access to cannabis events, Cannabis Info, Normal's Legal Network, and even a free membership to National. All by joining Suncoast Normal. That website again is suncoastnorml.org. You can also find us on social media at Suncoast Normal. Find us on both Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And thank you, Gary, and good night. Good night.